suffering, cancer, you've been given a death sentence by the doctor, whatever it is, we're going to sing this song over you. We're going to sing these words straight from the Word of God. God is fighting for us. I hate cancer. I hate cancer. In Jesus' name. And so we stand up.
song. And again, in my spirit, I just sensed there was healing, a suffering, cancer, we're being given a death sentence by the doctor, whatever it is.
right. Good afternoon, test, Metro test. Praise International. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Yes, yes, awesome. Good to hear it, guys. Welcome, welcome. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the pa campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. So good to see you guys. If you guys are joining us for the first time, thank you for taking your time to worshiping with us. Um, and we love you guys, and uh, let's have church today. Amen. Amen. All right. How about we all stand up before we begin? All right. Now, before, before we begin worship and before we begin service, uh, we usually have a, someone to come up for a testimony. So I would like to call my sister, Ashley Munoz. I almost called you Dreisler. <laughs> come up on stage and just share what the Lord is doing in your life. So yes, give a warm welcome to Ashley as she shares. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. I just wanted to share that. So recently I got married, and with that comes certain expenses that you kind of don't look out for. And I'm off of work for the summer, and during the time, you know, expenses started to get tight. And I went to bed having like $700 in my bank account and thinking about all the bills I had to pay. And I was so afraid of not making the ends meet. And all I did was, I'm going to pray. I'm going to submit this to God, and he's going to take care of it. And when I woke up, I had $5,000 in my bank account. I had spring sports pay that I didn't even, that I did, but I didn't apply for. So I didn't think I was ever going to get. So in that time, God really provided for me in that moment. It took overnight for it to happen. So I just want to encourage you guys to always submit to God all those concerns and those worries that you may have. And I always look to Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being the provider of all our needs, Lord. You know exactly what we need in every moment, Lord. And I pray that those in front of me do that at this time, Lord, that they know that you are the only one that can come through in those moments that they really need help, Lord. I pray they submit all to you and submit their lives completely to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I mean, we serve an awesome God. We serve a God of the impossible, that nothing is impossible for me. I can do anything, and I can do all things, cause it's you who gives me strength, and nothing is impossible to you, my lies are
corner. Sometimes you got to sing it like this. Jesus is greater. Jesus is stronger. Jesus, you're higher than any other. Jesus is healing. He's awesome.
And so don't let them just be words that you say out of your lips, but confess them with your heart. Because he's good.
that we can call you our cornerstone. Because when we build our life on our own foundation, that's when everything falls apart. And heavens know that we've tried. And heaven knows that we have failed. But you are God, and you never fail. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, the presence of God is amazing today. And we are so glad that you came to make this the place where you worship the Lord today. And I hope you're glad too. Because from the first day I walked into Metro Praise to this day I stand before you, I knew that the Holy Spirit lived there even when I never had felt the Holy Spirit like this. So if you guys would just take your seats, you know, find your way back to your seat. I want to take this time. We're going to do, it's our communion Sunday. This is a holy and sacred observance that, that we, the universal church of Jesus Christ, celebrate. And we do it in this church the first of every month. And we take it seriously because we take the Lord's death and resurrection very seriously. So I'm, I'm Jerry. I am one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise. And, and uh, man, I just love Jesus. Amen. And so I just want to share with you this verse. It says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything that we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Hallelujah. And I just think of something Pastor Jared said in the first service, and he was talking about if you're drowning, you can't save yourself. And I had this image in the first service of what it would be like to be in the middle of the ocean, and there's nothing around. And we cannot save ourselves. You know, the guy in the helicopter has to come with a ladder and he's got to pull you out of the raging waters because it's only a matter of time before you sink. And I was just thinking about when we live in our sin, it's like this ocean that's just pushing against us and pulling against us and thrashing us around. And it's only a matter of time before it takes us. And that's what sin does to us. It takes everything from our lives. It rips us apart and we are devoured by the waves. We are devoured by the water. But God, Jesus saves. We cannot save ourselves. Though we've tried and though we've told ourselves, next time I'm going to do better. Next time I won't get in that relationship. Next time I won't steal pens from the office. Next time I won't do this, that, or the other. And it's like, but you fail. But Christ saves us. He died for us. Before, before we sinned, Christ died for us. And he saved us and called us to a holy life, blameless and shameless, to stand before him. And that's why we celebrate this observance. Because it's by his body that was broken. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, that is only a minor experience of what Jesus actually went through. It was graphic and horrific and painful, and no man could have endured it like Jesus did. And we celebrate the blood that was poured out for us, because it's only by this blood that we have been saved.
So I want us to take the elements together. And so I want you guys to, to take out the wafer. I'm just going to pray for this and we'll take it together. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much. And we thank you so much for your blood, or your body that was broken for us. The pain you endured, the suffering you went through, and you took it all before you as joy. And we just love you, God. We thank you for your sacrifice, and we take this as remembrance of the body that was broken and crushed for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take the wafer. you for willingly let your son die for us and the blood that was poured out that we may be made whole and blameless before you God that we may understand that it was only by this blood that we are made white as snow let us remember that in Jesus name Christian worldview. We say it every week because we believe it every week and every day. Amen. So on the count of three, if you would recite it with me on one, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. 
Good afternoon. Who's excited to be at church today? I love all the excitement, the mingling, the fellowshipping. Thank you for joining us today at Metro Praise International. You guys can all grab your seats. We want to welcome you all here, especially if it's your first time. Thank you for coming on behalf of all the leaders. Our service is here our every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So we have King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate every Friday at 7 p.m. for students 11 to 18 years old. This is a service for our teenagers. It's an awesome time for them to get into the presence of God and really be challenged to go after God and win their friends for the Lord. So we're so excited about all that God is doing in, in Elevate. We have our announcement for you guys coming up at the end of the month. We have our MPI Back to School Outreach. Come on. Who's excited? This is a part of our soul-winning summer building fund, and we're so thankful for all of you guys that have come on board and have made this possible. So this month, Sunday, August 28th, is going to be when this is happening for 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. service. We're going to be giving away school supplies for 200 students. And we're going to be giving away three laptops, two in the first service and one in the second service. So we really want you guys on your way out to grab a whole bunch of those back-to-school outreach flyers. They look just like this. They're right on the info table in the foyer. And if you could just grab a whole bunch and just leave them wherever you go so we could get the word out, it'll be an awesome time. So we're really excited about what God's going to do that day. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal, a vision of loving God and loving people. We strive to do that with all of our heart. And our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. And the way we want to connect you to the church is through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Who gets excited when they hear about that every single week? Come on. So look to your neighbor say, it's time to get connected. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. If you turn your hand out around, you'll see the schedule for this quarter, July, August, and September. I really want to encourage you, especially if you're new here, you've only been coming for a short time, find a life group to belong to. It will really encourage you in your walk with the Lord and getting your family plugged into the church. So this is a snapshot for this week. Today we're kicking it off with our singles. 18 to 35 years old. They're meeting today here at the church at 4. Just an awesome group of people who love God and want to just build friendships and go after Jesus together. Wednesday, King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Thursdays are gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. meeting here at the church. And Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Vivids, one at the Govea's house, 7 p.m., 18 years and up. If you're an adult, that's where you want to be. Amen. Then look to your neighbor and say, get mentored. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Our 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. And this book is done one-on-one -on -one with a leader in the church who will go through it with you, meet with you at your guys' you know, convenience, and just really help you grow in your walk with God to be a disciple. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, disciples that make disciples. And this is where we train you to be a leader so that one day you could be ordained as an elder or a deacon in the church to serve God and be all that he's called you to be. Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. We want to send you out to do evangelism, to preach the gospel on the streets, to complete strangers. Every Saturday you can meet here from 5 to 8 with a hit the streets, preaching the gospel. This is your training ground. If you've never done it, I want to encourage you to do it. It will change your life. And like I shared in the first service, 
We have to make sure that we're preaching the gospel and letting Chicago know that he is the answer. It's not the next project. It's not the best, you know, the next peace rally. The only answer for our city and America and the nations of the world is the gospel message that Jesus came to save us, to set us free. And that's when peace comes and that's when love will come, when people open up their hearts back to God. Amen. So let's go tell people about Jesus. Look to your neighbor, say, tell somebody about Jesus. So in recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people, a strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Who's excited to give their tithes and offerings today? Come on. Way better than the first service. I won't let them know that, but you guys did good on that. A tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. Offering is an amount above the tithe that is between you and the Lord, something he puts on your heart to give. And the Bible wants a cheerful giver. When you give to, to offering, you shouldn't give under compulsion because you're being made to. You have to do that because God wants you to do it. And that's an amount he tells you to. And we designate that towards missions and towards building. So let's get into our giving book lesson today. You could go to givingbook.org if you would like to follow along. We're on section three, lesson four. Every person has been given gifts to steward. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. So that's what we're going to be learning in this section. It's all about stewardship. Say wise management of everything God has given to us. Amen. We're going to be reading from 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Let's read the three main points. Number one, whatever gift you have received. Take a moment to think about all the gifts God has given you, your talents, job, personality, creativity, and passions. Then give God a big thank you. How many of you guys have creativity? You have talents, you have a job, your personality. I want us on the count of three to say thank you so that we can give God thanks for all that stuff. You ready? One, two, three. Thank you. So everything that we have in all of those categories is because of God. The favor on your job, your ability to do your job, your ability to love, to make friends, that's all because of the Lord. Number two, use your gifts to serve others. Did you know that God gave you gifts to manage for the benefit of others, not just to use for your own selfish gain? Consider each day how to use your gifts to help others and watch how God will prosper you in all that you do on the job, in your family, at church, etc. So allow your gifts to be used to serve other people, to love them, to, you know, to provide for them and your family, to be an example in the workplace. Because those are gifts God has given to you so you could show who, who he is on the earth. Number three, faithful stewards of God's grace. The Greek word for grace is charis, was, uh, which is actually the root word for gift. Somebody say gift. Charisma, which means all God's gifts come from his grace unearned love and favor. So all the gifts that you have don't come from yourself. You haven't earned them. They've been given to you. That is why God's gifts are not considered wages or income because they are not earned. They are simply received. Say, I receive. Therefore, be a faithful and reliable steward of all the gifts God has graciously given you. And here's a summary. You guys ready? Faithfully manage and steward all the gifts God has given you because of his grace. Say, it's all about his grace. So we apply it in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything above your tithe. Number two, humbly acknowledge that God has given you 
all of your talents because of his amazing grace. So don't, create, don't take credit in life for what you've done like you're a self-made person. It's all because of the Lord and he gets the credit back. And number three, faithfully use your gifts to serve God by helping others. If that is you and you want to do that, let's recite this confession together. On the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Please stand up with me to your feet this afternoon as we prepare to give the Lord our tithes and offerings. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. We designate offering towards missions and towards building. You can allocate the specific amount on the envelope. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry for that if you have any questions. And four, you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. We want to give you guys an update for our soul winning summer. We've raised so far $5,460. So all we have left is 2540 for the next three outreaches, August, September, and October. God is good. You guys are faithful. Uh, uh, yesterday we had the West Side back-to-school outreach. It was amazing. If you guys want to catch some snippets of what it was like, go on Facebook and get some of the people's live feeds that they were recording. Such a powerful time. Over 60 students got school supplies. Two laptops were given out. We were giving away hot dogs and chips. Just made like a little kind of carnival out of it. It was so much fun. People were witnessed to, prayed for, um, basketball hoops going out, the sound system. It was an awesome time. That's where your dollars went. So we, we showed the love of Jesus to that community, Ohio Park, that we adopted 10 years ago. And we have a presence there still. We go send our vans every Wednesday. We go into that neighborhood and bring the children here for our boys clubs and girls clubs. So God is on the move. And so we have the MPI back to school bash here at the end of August. So let's just keep blowing it up, being faithful. God has been so good and you guys are awesome. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4:19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your abundance in our lives. We thank you that you have called us to be stewards and that you give us the grace to do so. I pray that all of our gifts would be used for your glory. Bless the gift and the giver today. Multiply it, increase it in our lives, in the church, that we could win Chicago and the nations for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity today.
All right, how many are ready to run their race? Make some noise. Come on, you guys ready to run for Jesus? Open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So good to see you guys here. My name's Joe, if we haven't met. My wife and I are the pastors here. We love Metro Praise International. You would have been so proud of the church yesterday if you didn't make it. It was amazing all that went on the west side. God is so good. And as a matter of fact, can I just get one of west side's finest to come up and testify? Destiny, would you please come up? Let's give it up for Destiny as she comes. Destiny actually shared her testimony on a live Facebook video I did yesterday. Had about uh, 500 views already. And Destiny and her brother Shamal are a part of the community that we have been reaching for about 10 years, known as Ohio Park. And I think you were about seven years old when we came the first time. And take us from there. So we lived in Ohio Park, the area, and we went to a store nearby. And um, Susie and Jarek came to our house. And we, live in a, we lived in a hood, so no offense to any white people. So when white people walk up, it's kind of like you guys look sketchy. <laughs> so, it's a white person thing. yeah, everybody was like, um, no. So they um, walked on our porch and they evangelized to us. And it was me, Shamal, and my dad. But my dad's dead now. So they were like, they were talking to us about God. So we was like, okay. They prayed for us and then they left. And we was like, oh, we're never going to see them again. We don't want to see them again. But then they kept coming back. <laughs> like, <laughs> every time they had um, service, they came back and they kept coming back. And then one time they was like, "Come on, come walk with us." And we they walked. They got all the kids in the neighborhood, and we went to a church service. And they told us about the real God and the true God. And they actually taught us and cared for us. And it was like a big family. So like every time you they were seven years old. yeah, and Shamal was six. So every time they came, they just showed love and compassion and what God really is. And they showed his love through them, and they spread it all through the neighborhood, <laughs> and all the kids, and yeah, and we've been with them since we were seven, and Shamal was six, and they just showed us the true love of God, and they taught us the truth about God, and this is my brother Shamal. Amen. <laughs> Shamal, talk a little bit about what happened yesterday, how you lost your dad, you stopped coming to church, and you came back because you knew that church was a great place to be, right? So basically, I lost my dad in 2012, then I kept going to MPI, then I stopped for like, man, <laughs> like a long time, then I start, they kept inviting me, calling our house, telling me, come back, come back. Then when I got in the church van, I, I was telling Jared about how my dad died, then he was just like loving on me, comforting me, and you know, it's good to see churches loving on you, comforting you in your times of need, in your bad times. And, man, <laughs> that's why I kept coming back here, because we love how the people act. It's not a fake church. It's real. Like, they show you the true love of God. They show you everything that you need to know. Like, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Ishmael, amen. You were with us. Come on up. Uh, you were with us the first time we went to Ohio Park. Would you pray for them that they'll continue to reach out and that we as a church will partner with their neighborhood? Do you know that he was there 10 years ago? Do you remember him? Like, I remember you, and I remember Adam Navarez, yeah, and Cynthia, and yeah. You remember some of us. That's awesome. 
Let's pray for Ohio Park, and let's pray for God to keep using us, not only in that neighborhood, but all over the city. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. God, you're so faithful. God, you're so loving. Thank you for the command to go. And thank you for the result. Thank you for them. Thank you for Shamal and Destiny, God. They're so precious in your sight, Lord God. They are worth every penny spent, Lord God, every moment spent, God, every trip spent preparing, Lord God, everything that we've done, God, to, to go out there, God, they were worth it, Lord God, and they're worth your blood. You died on the cross for them. You love the west side. You love everyone there, God. I pray that you continue, Lord, to put that burden in our hearts, God, that we would never cease to love the west side, God. Father God, I thank you that everyone there, Lord God, that has heard your word, God, that it will not return void, Jesus. Father God, I pray that, that in the hearts of those men and women and children, God, whether they're doing whatever they're doing, God, Lord God, that you would sprout out, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would sprout and grow in their hearts, God, and they would proclaim the goodness and the beauty of your love, God, that they would surrender completely to you, Jesus. Use us, Lord, continually and bless them. Let there be a lineage in this family, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, brother. That was powerful. It makes a difference. And not only do we go to the west side, we go to Boys Town, Belmont and Clark. And not only do we go there, we also go to Boricua Fest, to the Puerto Rican Festival. We go all over the world. We go to redheaded stepchildren that are alone at night and they feel that nobody loves them. We go everywhere. If you feel alone, if you feel like no one cares about you, Jesus is going to reach out to you through Chicago through G for Jesus. We have 10 outreaches a week, by the way, 10 outreaches a week. We're going to get to you if we haven't already. And I remember one person asked me, well, have, why haven't you guys come to my neighborhood yet? Because we're waiting for you to invite us, okay? So if we've skipped and haven't gone to your neighborhood, you invite us. We'll come there. We'll wave our Chicago for Jesus flag, put on our shirts, and go out there and preach. Can I get an Amen. We are in the middle of a spiritual discipline sermon series for the summer. It's on uh, Christian service today. We're going to learn about applying God's discipline in our work life. But I want to do something really special with you today because the Olympics have started. I don't know if you watched the opening ceremony. I tried to watch it with my girls. I got bored in five minutes and went back to watching American Ninja Warrior. But we will be starting to watch some of the other races and things because that stuff is cool. But I was like really bored at the beginning of that ceremony. But anyways, I I got so motivated by watching the time trials of the 2016 people that go into the Olympics. And I didn't know this. They actually do their time trials a week before. So last week they were doing their time trials. Like that's how radical these guys are. They're giving it their all, and they don't even know if they're going until uh, the week of. And so when I was watching them, I saw them run the 5,000 meter, which is basically about three and a half miles. And so what I said is, you know what? We need to see the scripture that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9 in view of what these guys go through. Now, I couldn't get that time trial up because that was just recently done. So I went to the 2012 Olympics of the similar race. And so I want everybody to get their Bible open. If you have a phone, get it open. Go to a Bible app. 
Because I don't want you just looking at the screen. I also want you looking at your Bible, looking at the Bible, looking at the screen. How many can multitask? You guys can do that, right? So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. This is our sermon series, Scriptures. That means as we're learning the sermon series of spiritual disciplines, it's our seventh lesson in the, in the series. We're reading the Scripture every week. And now on behalf of the Olympics, I want you to think about it as you're looking at your Scripture Looking back to the screen. Now remember Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. And so we can probably think to ourselves that their races were very similar to ours. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now look at these runners right here. Do you think that they have taken serious their discipline to run this race? Do you think that when they started this race, they intended to finish this race? Do you think that they started this race intended to win this race. Now, I want you to understand they are running 3.5 miles, 5,000 kilometers. They are running at the speed of about four and a half minutes per mile. I don't know about you, but just to run one mile in under five minutes would be an Olympic task for me. I can tell you that right now. Mine's at right around eight to seven. They are not only running one mile that way, they are running three and a half miles. And Paul, you can tell he's thinking about these kind of races. He says, when you look at these racers, you see that not everybody wins just because they joined the race. Only the one who crosses the finish line first wins. And then he makes a spiritual application to us. And he says, you better, you brother, you sister, you better run in such a way as to get a prize. These that you see running right here, they're about ready to come upon their last lap. And what you're going to notice is as they come to that last lap, that bell is going to ring and signify to them that all of their training, all of their preparation now comes down to this. They are going to go into a full-fledged sprint. They are going to run a quarter mile at the fastest rate that probably an Olympiad sprinter would run a quarter mile. They are going to distance themselves from their competition because they have not come to be in second place. They have not come to be in third place. They have come to win the gold. And the Bible says they're doing this strict training. They're doing this effort. They're doing this for a crown, an award that does not last. But you, my friend, are running a race to win a crown that will last forever. You need to look to these racers and say, I'm willing to run. I'm willing not to give up. I'm willing to keep on sprinting to reach it to the finish line. Nobody's going to hold me back. I didn't come to get second place or third place. I came to cross the finish line and win. That's what it looks like. That is what Paul is talking about here. And my friend, he is not just talking about a race for a crown. We know he is talking about a more important race. He is talking about the very race for your soul. Your soul, my friend, is worth strict training. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? You run in such a way as to get the prize. 
You better run in such a way that you want to reach heaven and get rewarded with a crown. Where Jesus says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. That means you can't pay attention to what your neighbor's doing. Yes, you may care about them and love them, but you can't let them determine the pace of your race. We've learned last week about discipleship that you can't even let your mother, your wife, your children, your husband, you can't let anybody else determine the pace that you run at. You need to run at the pace Jesus sets for you. You need to be willing, as it says here, to go into strict training because these Olympians, they go into strict training just to win a little crown, a little bit of gold, something that doesn't last for a long time. But we're doing this strict training, these spiritual disciplines to win eternal life. Now, you may say to yourself, Pastor, am I saved by good works? No, you're not, but you're saved to do good works. You're saying, Pastor, well, how am I saved? Then you're saved by faith alone, but faith in the kingdom of God produces good works. Faith without works, the Bible says, is dead. And so I want to ask you today, do you want to finish this race? Do you want to see God complete in you that which he started? Do you want to see all the good that God has for you in the land of the living before you go to heaven? Do you want to see his kingdom come and his will be done? If you do, then you can't run aimlessly. And I want to tell you as I look across this church today that I am I'm sad to say that I think some of you are running aimlessly. Some of you don't see the finish line. Some of you don't even know where the track is at. You're doing something totally opposite of what God has said, and you're wondering why it's not working, and you're wondering why you're still messed up and you're still depressed. I'm here today to tell you, stop running aimlessly. Get on the track of Christianity and run straight ahead. Don't look back. That man couldn't look back and cross that finish line first. He had to look at what was ahead. Do you know that in the desert, one of the most dangerous things to do is to move around aimlessly. They can't make out the description of the land because it all looks the same. And they say if you just walk with a little bit of a limp on one side or the other, something that's so slight that you wouldn't notice unless you went to a chiropractor, that you can literally walk in a circle and not even knowing you're going in a circle. You could be in a desert and, and, and water can be 20 miles in one direction. A Bedouin village may be in 20 miles in another direction. And you literally can walk 20 miles in a circle and have gone nowhere because you didn't know how to walk to where the land or the water was or the help was. And it's the same thing I see in Christianity. You say, hey, Pastor, I come to church, I read my Bible, but it's not working for me. I want to tell you, my friend, it's not that God lost his power. It's that you're not doing it right. Because if you work the word, it will work for you. If you put into practice what God said is true, you'll find it to be true for you. The blood of Jesus has not lost its power. The blood of Jesus still flows from Emmanuel's veins and is able to cleanse every sinner, able to transform every person's life into a saint. And do you know that you can beat the air aimlessly and not hit a thing? I don't know if you've ever seen those YouTube videos of somebody that's drunk. They throw that punch like this and all it takes is one guy to pop them in the nose and they fall right back. So many of you are wondering why the devil's not getting off your case, why you're not able to knock them out. But the devil's just sitting back and laughing at you going, you ain't even touched me yet. Because you haven't learned how to pray in Jesus' name. You haven't learned how to shut off the pornography. You haven't learned how to stand on the word of God and confess it over your life. And you're wondering, why isn't this working? It's because you haven't worked the word yet. You haven't gone into a fight yet to win. You haven't trained yourself to the point where you can get a crown. 
And that's why Paul says in verse 27, he says, no, I strike a blow to my body because now we learn that our competition in this race is not each other. We are racing against our flesh and the lies of the devil. That is what you are racing against. And Paul said, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There are disqualifications all around this world. There's disqualifications in your marriage. You could commit adultery. You could begin to have an affair. There's a lot of ways to disqualify yourself as young people. You could start doing drugs, start drinking, start partying. I know that many of us here can relate to the disqualifications, the whistles that were blown on us in life. And sadly, it wasn't just one that got our attention. Many of us had to come to the bottom of our barrel, to the end of our rope before we finally called out for help. I wish that there would be somebody here today that would say, I can learn what is right without having to keep doing what's wrong. I can learn to run a race and how to follow the rules without getting the whistle blown and being disqualified along the way. How many people want to do it the right way? How many more times do you got to beat your head up against the wall to realize that's not what you need in life? How many more dead-end relationships do you need to start before you realize you're dating the wrong kind of person? How many more times do you have to waste your money on things that don't satisfy before you realize that God's worth it all? You can't buy joy for $1.99 at the store, can you? You can't buy peace at Macy's or at Coach, can you? You can't buy it there. You have to run your race. And so we see in the middle of all of this, of course, yes, Paul, we want to win. We want to run and, and beat up the devil. But we see in the middle of this the key, and that's strict training. That's the part where we all now make excuses. Well, Paul, if you just understood me, then you would understand I can't really give God all that. Because, Paul, I'm a mother with three kids under five years old, and they're always running around. I don't have time to pray, Paul. If you just knew, Paul, how hard it was for me. You wouldn't ask me to do this. For the man working 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day, coming home, taking care of his family, he wants to say back to Paul, oftentimes with sweat from his brow, Paul, you can't expect me now to read my Bible because I've been working all day, Paul. I deserve a rest. I deserve to be able to turn on the game, crack open a beer, talk to my wife, and go to bed. Paul, you don't expect me to get strict now, do you? You see, all of us here can relate to this strict training when it comes to physical exercise because all of us right now probably one way or another are enjoying the summer weather and wanting to get out and move more. Can I get an amen for that? Anybody enjoying moving outdoors? Are you all just homebodies? I ain't getting an amen. I hope some of you like to do stuff outside. Well, I bought a new bike, and I needed one because I love to ride bikes. And guess what? How much I rode my bike this week? 100 miles. One day 20 miles, second day 20 miles, another day 30 miles, and yesterday 30 miles. And if the weather holds up and the Lord says the same, I'll probably ride another 30 miles today. You say, Pastor, let's give you a pat on the back, but it wasn't always that way. I used to be 60 pounds overweight, and many of you have seen the pictures. I used to be obese. I had given myself to food and to appetite and to luxury and to pleasure, and gosh darn it, I deserve it. Because I'm a pastor, and I have to do all this for others, and of course it's okay if I just eat the good of the land, drink the good of the land, and sit at home in the air conditioning. I deserve it. And over time, my body began to suffer the consequences. 
And my wife will be in a, t- a testimony to you that she started dieting first after having our fourth child. It convicted me when I got on the scale at 286, and I realized I'm only a few pounds away from 300 pounds. And I said, I've got to change. And she says, honey, you got to do what you're not wanting to do, and that's go into training. You've got to start dieting, and you've got to start putting out some effort and to start losing that weight. And I want to tell you what, it wasn't easy at first. As a matter of fact, I haven't told many of you this. For the first 60 days, I couldn't even lift weights because my joints were so sore being at that 286 weight. But I said, what I can do is I can start by walking and stop taking in so much food. And it wasn't easy by the first 60, 90 days. only lost a few pounds. But as the strict training developed, so did the habit develop. And now today I can stand before you 60 pounds less saying, by God's grace, I'll never go back there again. But I know today it's all God and me. Amen. It's all God and me. I'm not the next uh, Richard Simmons up here to motivate you to lose weight. I'm just here to make the spiritual application. It is so easy for you to come home, ma'am, for you to come home, sir, and say, I deserve this time to myself. And you push God away. And strict training becomes an afterthought. Something you don't enjoy as much as the chocolate cake or watching your favorite movie, right? We come here every week for two hours, and some people walk out in the middle of it because they get bored. And yet they get excited when Cubs games go longer, right? They get excited when basketball games go longer. They'll stand in line for Thanksgiving deals, Black Friday. Are you listening to me? And yet we get so discouraged so easily when our flesh starts to tell us what to do. Some of you all getting tired right now. Shake your neighbor. Say, don't go to sleep. Don't sleep on yourself. No sleep on yourself. You're only hurting yourself. So let me ask you a question here today. Before I preach this again for the seventh time in a new way, the whole sermon series has been based on this, but I give you a little nugget every week, don't I? little nugget. So before I preach it again in a new way, let me ask you something. Do you want to go into strict training? Are you willing to do it? Jesus said, if anyone wants to pick, uh, follow me, they must pick up their cross, deny themselves and, and pick up their cross and follow me. The cross is a place where men die. It's a place where you die to your pleasures. It's a place where you die to your wants and desires. Can I show you that in Luke, or rather Galatians chapter 6? Look at it here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the what? The flesh. That very thing, that very thing that Paul said that he beats into submission is the very thing that we are to count as dead. We are to count our flesh as being dead. Why? Because it's the spiritual life that's what counts. I've been born again in my soul and spirit. Has anybody else been born again in their soul and spirit? Are you tired of living a carnal fleshly life? Amen. Come on, somebody say, I need a new life. Amen. And if you got it, let's live it. Here's the definition of spiritual disciplines if you can't remember. Or if you're new with us, we'd love to share it with you. The spiritual disciplines, the strict training that the Christian does are the commands and the practices a disciple shows in their life to grow because they know God. Everybody say, show, grow, and know. It's very simple when you see it in a chart like this. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ, by what we know. If you believe that Jesus is God and Savior, say amen. If you believe that Jesus can make sinners saints, everybody say amen. If you believe that saints can keep the commands of God, say amen. Amen. That's the faith that saves. That's what you believe. When you come and the Bible says you're saved by faith, it's not the proposition of did you believe Jesus existed. It's do you believe these things in the concept of Jesus as Lord. When we say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is our Savior, this is the holistic concept. 
What we mean is Jesus is God in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, raised again on the third day. That's what Lord means. That he has the power to recreate in us a new nature. We were born sinners, but we were born saints. And that it, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we now can keep the commands of God, those very things that we used not to be able to do nor want to do. That simple confession, Jesus is Lord, is found in those three principles. Are you understanding? Jesus is God. Jesus transforms sinners to saints, and Jesus gives us abilities to keep commands. That's the salvation message. Now, how do we show that we've been saved? How does that real experience we have exit just the inner life and go into our practical everyday life? Well, those are the commands and practices of Jesus. The New Testament is built upon the life of Jesus as lived out by his apostles. That's all it is. It's so simple. And so um, maybe a pastor will come up with 13 or 14, but I, I guarantee you these 12 pretty much sum it up that if you understand that all the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount to all the teachings of Paul and his epistles, if you can understand this is what it boils down to, you'll be successful. You'll be successful. And how many want to grow in goodness and knowledge and self-control? You all want to grow in that stuff, right? Where can you go and get perseverance? Everybody says, don't give up, don't give up. Well, where do you get it? You get it from reading your Bible, praying, having a godly family. See, God uses these means of grace, as, and in other words, for, for spiritual disciplines are a means of grace. It's how God demonstrates his grace and his power through us. While we're praying and worshiping, God teaches us not to give up. While we're discipled and being a disciple, teaching others about Christ and evangelizing and meditating on his word and, and not loving money but being generous, as we're doing those things, goodness and knowledge and all of that is coming into our life naturally. As natural as a grape tree produces grapes. A healthy grape tree produces fruit. Amen? A healthy Christian who obeys the commands of God will naturally grow in goodness. Goodness is the privilege of the Christian. Knowledge is a privilege of the Christian and a blessing and a benefit. Amen? Come on. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you for that. So those are our spiritual disciplines. It's the showing of our knowing so that we can grow. And today, we're talking about Christian service, which is number seven on the list. We've already gone over Bible reading, family order, soul journaling, uh, scripture memorization, prayer and worshiping, and, and discipleship and Christ-likeness. Has anybody enjoyed those? Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed them. Now, let's talk today about Christian service. When we're talking today about Christian service, what we're talking about is work and doing all things unto God. So the concept of work and productivity was a blessing of God given to mankind before the fall. So everybody look up at me, please. Let's, no, don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But let's be honest. How many of us might have thought at one point work is a four-letter word and it probably was a part of the curse and that's why we got to work is because they messed up. Adam and Eve sinned and God said, you guys messed up. Guess what you're going to do now the rest of your life? Work. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder if there's people here that believe that. I kind of believe that at one time, too. I quit 30 jobs between the ages of 15 and 18. A lot of it had to do with my drugs that I was taking, a lot of the bad stuff I was on, and the crimes I was committing, but literally 30 jobs. The longest relationship I was ever in before I met Nancy was only just a few months. Somehow God changes everything. I've been working this job for the last 11 years, Amen. And in all my years of being saved, 20 years of ministry, I've only done three things. One, th one in New Orleans and one in Chicago for about eight months and the rest of the time here. Come on, somebody. So when we look at work, let's not look at it like a four-letter word, like it's a curse. Let's look at it as what it is. It's a blessing of God for man to be productive, for women to be productive, for us to take care of the land that God has given us, to subdue it, to prosper, and to be successful. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. How many would like that job? 
Now that is the truth, that work was a blessing in the beginning, and it was easy because it was taking care of God's garden. Now it is true that after we sinned, something happened. Work did become hard. So that is true. Work did become hard because God now said, using agriculture as an example, now instead of the garden being easy, now there's going to be weeds. There's going to be thorns. Childbearing was going to be easy, ladies, until sin. Can I hear an amen for that? Wouldn't that have been fun, ladies? You wish now you could give a little little love slap to Eve for this, you know, because he said now because of this, childbearing is going to be painful. So work painful, childbearing painful. But guess what happens when you come to Jesus? The curse is broken. The curse is broken. Now, that doesn't mean that childbearing is now just going to be fun and, and easy for Christian women. Oh, I love Jesus. It's so easy. There goes the baby. No. And, and, it's, and it's not like for the Christian now, like, oh, it's so easy to work out here in this hot field or whatever or to deal with customers. No, but what it means is that God is going to bless us beyond the curse. He will give us motivation, excitement, and joy to help bring us peace beyond the very curse of sin. And so look at what it says here in Ecclesiastes. King Solomon wrote, this is thinking about what God does for us in a fallen world, in a place where there is painful work and painful childbearing. He says, a person can do no better than to eat and to drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Can I hear an amen? Amen. This too, I see, is from the hand of who? The hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Think about that. How many of you know that you've worked jobs and found no enjoyment and it didn't matter how much they paid you? You see, many of us, we get caught in a rat race. And this is how it goes. We lose the God-given purpose of our job. We don't find Jesus in the job. And so all we try to do is find the, mo the money to be the motivation. And how it goes is something like this. Well, I don't really like this job, but the pay is pretty good. I need the money. Let me take it. And then you begin to make the money. And now since you're not so happy, you live for the weekends, you start spending the money. But then you got to go back to work to make the money. And then over time, maybe a family comes along and you try to plan vacations. And without God, you can easily go to spending more money than what you're bringing in. And therefore, now you got to work the job more that you don't like to keep spending money on things that are trying to make you happy, and now they're even finding out that after all of our expensive vacations to Disney World, we're coming back home more stressed than when we left. Have you ever seen that in life before? Isn't that kind of what we call the rat race? Well, let me ask you a question as we're thinking about this, and I put this on Facebook as I was praying over this this week to really give you some of the heart that I have as a pastor for this. What if you had two options, just these two? I know there's many other ways to make money in life, but what if you just had these two options? A, You'll make a million dollars a year, live in a mansion, have a nice car, but you will have to pay a million and a half to have all of that and be in debt a half a million every year and deal with the stress and the overworking to try to make up for it. Or make $30,000 a year, have a decent apartment, a decent car, only spend 20000 and have 10000 in the bank. See, wisdom tells you which one you should go for, right? But our lust tells us what we really kind of desire in our flesh. And you see this happening all throughout our culture. We don't understand that we can live better with less if we'll find contentment with what we have. That's how you leave the rat race. When I'm talking today about you finding contentment in your job, I'm not talking about all of us having a million dollars a year. What I'm talking about is exactly what King Solomon said. Work hard, make some money, eat, drink, and find satisfaction in your life.
if you can do that, you have the gift of God. Because there's a lot of people with a lot more money than you or I that still don't have that. They don't have satisfaction in their family. That's why they keep cheating. They don't have satisfaction with what they made. That's why they keep burning the midnight oil and their kids don't know the house or the father who built the house they live in. Yeah, you got a good house for your kids, but dad, your kids don't know you. Right? Well, mom's got to work, and I love working moms. Listen to me. I love it. But sometimes we put both parents to work so we can have all of these fancy things, and then we realize our kids never knew us. Wouldn't it be better if we just made 30000 only spent twenty, and got to have evenings together again around the dinner table? had satisfaction with our children. Oh, yes, that's true. They may not be able to join every club that the kids down the street join because I can guarantee you those things are expensive if you haven't figured it out. $100 here, 100 I got four kids, right? Three of them would have to be in the same thing. That's $300 every eight weeks. You put that all throughout the year, I would have to pay a couple thousand dollars just for my kids to swing a ball and a bat. My thing is, kids, if you're good enough to do this, they'll sign you. They'll put you on contract, that's what I'm thinking, like, like, like uh, Lucas, you want to play baseball? Let the coach over there sign you for $100 eight weeks. Now, you may say, Pastor, that's so mean. But listen, i got to put my priorities straight. Some of you can afford that and do that. I'm not saying it's wrong. But I'm saying, isn't that something, how quickly we, we trade what we think is family, what we think is good, for more stress, for more things that really don't satisfy? Can I show you this in the Bible? Come on, somebody say, show me, Pastor. I approve of whatever you can do according to King Solomon, by the way. So you don't have to think I'm being a hater. Like, Pastor, you just broke and you hating on us. <laughs> Pastor, we pimping over here. We can afford all this. That's okay. Listen, I'm not saying that I'm hating on you. Do all that you can do as long as you can eat and drink and work and find satisfaction. Amen? But if you find yourself on the rat race, it's okay to start cutting out some of those things. Pastor gives you permission. Amen? Look at this and tell me if this sounds familiar to you when it comes to getting out the rat race. Come, all you who are thirsty, God is speaking here. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Don't you wish you could do that, come buy and eat with no money? Come buy wine and milk without cost and without money. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Almost sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? I'm going to buy without money? How does that happen? You see, what this is talking about is the favor of God. Things that your money cannot buy. And the world, sadly, hasn't learned this lesson yet because it keeps trying to buy more of the same things that they keep putting out off sale for garage sales and out on the front yard. They sell it to go get more of that same junk, and they, re they haven't realized that a year later, the stuff you just bought is going to be right back out there. Are you listening? We haven't learned our lessons, have we? And so can we work hard and be successful? Absolutely. You are going to learn about that today. I want you to be the best you can be. As a matter of fact, I want you to make as, most, as much money as you can. I want you to save as much as you can, and I want you to give as much as you can. But I don't want you to do it at the cost of your satisfaction in life. Because the moment you put your satisfaction towards a paycheck, you'll find out that that's illusory. It's like a mirage. You'll never reach the right paycheck. 
Just ask your younger self. Just ask your younger self. We have enough people here now to have a real life experience. We used to be a church of just people in their teens. Now we're getting to be a church in their early 20s, and we're starting to get some of us with some gray hair pushing 40, okay? So we're old enough now to ask our younger self some questions. What do you think your younger self would have said, those of you who have families now, what do you think your younger self would have said at 18 is all you need a year to be happy? Realistically, I mean, I'm 2 million, I'll be happy. No, I'm talking realistic. What would you have told yourself? Well, 30,000, right? Maybe 25. If I could have 2,000 a month, 30,000 a year, I'm good. How quickly did that go through your hands? Right? What was the next number you hit in your head? You put in your mind. For me, it was 50, some 60, keeping an even numbers, right? Oh, yeah, if I just had 50,000 a year, maybe my wife could stay home, we could afford this. But then how fast did that go through your hands? Before you know it, you're looking at six figures, and you're saying, I don't even know if that's enough. I don't even know if six is enough. I probably won't get the house that I want. I probably have to downgrade the kind of car that we want. Can't take all those vacations, but at least we can be home a little bit more. If she makes 50 and I make 50. Isn't that something? What changed? Somebody might say, well, life changed. Reality changed. No, but you know what? I think a lot of times we're not honest with ourselves. Yes, it's okay to make a lot of money. I'm not saying anything is wrong with making money. It's the love of money that's the root to all kinds of evil. Know the difference. But here's what I think changes is we start chasing after the illusion of what will make us happy. And so can I start with myself as an example? Can I do that? Can I make it personal? I want to make it personal to you as we get ready to get into the message. Look at your neighbor and say, we're still on the introduction. We're just, we're just getting to the message. We're just at the introduction. I'll put up the pretty screen here. Look at, look at this example and tell me if you can relate. I think some of you can. So I was working at a church making $38,000 a year as a single pastor, living in a small apartment, only $900 a month. Total expenses, maybe $1,500 a month. Single, ready to mingle, making 38 Gs plus full benefits, full package, maybe around $45,000. And God starts to knock at my heart. I want you to resign and start a church in your house. What do you think that was like in my prayer closet? <laughs> Right? But God, God, let's just talk for a minute. I don't know if we got the details right here. God, I'm making about 40 a year. How am I going to make money in my house? Right? God, I'll be doing more for less. As a youth pastor, wasn't in charge of the finances, wasn't in charge of counseling. All I had to do was show up a couple times a week and love on teenagers. And God says, give that up, go to your house and start a church. See, what was he teaching me? He was teaching me that 30-20 principle, wasn't he? He was teaching me if you'll have less but then spend less, you'll be happier. So how did I do it? Did I live off of prayer and manna that the Lord brought up from my carpet every day? Did I, did I pay my landlord? Did I pray, pay my landlord with the joy of the Spirit flowing through my belly? I got a lot of joy for you today. Are you ready? Here it is. Take my joy. Okay. Bill paid. No, reality, reality came, and so I had to talk to, at that time, my fiance, who then became my wife shortly after. We started the church in March. We got married in June, and I had to say, this is what the Lord told me. We're going to start a church. We're not going to be here. We're not going to be a youth pastor. This is not going to happen, but I'm going to live off the savings that I have. When we get married, if you'll work a good job for benefits for us and the family, I promise you that in five years, I'll start to take care of you. Now, I want to tell you with everything inside of me, I hated that idea. 
Number one, men don't ask women to go work for them. That's just is how I was taught and raised. You just don't do that. Can I hear an amen to that? Number two, that's not how you start off a marriage. You get secure first. You put more money in the bank. You don't say, honey, day one of our marriage, I'll be broke waiting for your paycheck. Good men don't do that, right? And then you don't make off some faraway promise that no one's ever been to to see, to check and see if it's real. Couldn't take a time machine five years out and come back and go, yeah, you're right. Okay, it's going to work. Let's go for it. But it took faith as a pastor. This is my journey. may not be your journey, but I'm just telling you what I had to do. And if you've ever seen those memes with Stephen Curry or President Barack Obama with his wife or girlfriend, they're young, and it talks about if you can stay with me now when it's hard and we're grinding it out, there's going to be a time in the future where you'll be happy you stuck with me. Well, that's what it was for us. It took me five years. I went back to school, got my, finished my bachelor's, got my master's. Then I began to work for the Bible college, and we began to tip the scale more towards me. The church started giving a little bit more, tipped the scale more towards me. And right around the eighth year, I could say, honey, it's time for you to resign. For, or fifth year, it's time for you to resign for that job. Come take care of the kids. And then three years later, I could resign for my teaching job. It took me eight years to become an entrepreneur, self-sufficient off the church the Lord started here. But it took a sacrifice. Now you may say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe you. Well, then you don't understand the church world then. Right now, I could go preach to 1,000 people and make 150 a year right now. And I'll probably make 60 to 70 this year. But I've made a decision. I'd rather preach to you than preach there because that money ain't worth my satisfaction. Now that's the truth. Whether you choose to believe it or not, that is the truth. You may say, I don't like that pastors get paid that much. I'm glad it's not up to you then. But it is true. It is true. Now, you may say, Pastor, how does that apply to me? Well, I hope that you see now that all of us are going to have to make sacrifices to live that life that God called us to live. For most of us here, wealth and finances will not come easy. For some of us, we may have had the opportunity given to us, like a Donald Trump, here, son, you can borrow a million, right? Some people may come from a prosperous family. And I think that's the hope of some of our families here. Maybe I didn't have nothing, but I want to be able to give it to my kids. And let me just say this on the immigration issue. You know what? I am Republican by nature, conservative in my values. That's the way I think and the way I vote, and that's how I am as a person. But hear me today. I have changed my opinion on immigration, and I'll tell you why. Because I have worked in the inner cities of America. I have done job fairs there, and it is so hard for the poor of America to want to work the kind of jobs that we need to have done to compete with China. And so what is my mentality? Any person, I don't care if they're from Colombia, Maine. I don't care if they're from Mexico. Let them through them doors and get us to start working again. Because my grandfather worked in a coal mining factory and died a millionaire. My grandfather from Italy worked in a coal mining factory and died a millionaire. And that's what I see coming from our immigration and those who are coming to this country. They will do whatever it takes. They will work hard. They will provide for their family. And you can guarantee Pablo, whoever it is, my Greek father-in-law who came from Greece, worked as a janitor, you can guarantee this their children won't have the same jobs they have because they will instill in them a work ethic to go beyond where they ever went. Both my father-in-law is the family from Greek, so this is not just a Latino thing, even though I love my gente and they, I think they should all come over. But anyways, that's another conversation. But let me just tell you this right here. My, my family on the, my wife's side, Greek, what does my father-in-law do? He's a janitor. What did he do before that? He worked in a factory, right? 
But his daughters have graduated school, working great jobs. Why? Because he made it possible for them. My grandfather from, from Italy and from Poland, they made it possible. My grandfather, both of my grandfathers died as millionaires, and they stopped. They started at menial jobs, post office, coal mining, but they worked hard. They saved. They were entrepreneurs. Amen? And so this is, that's my little talk on immigration. And so here's my thing. We better work at what we have with all we got or someone else will work harder than us. Let's show as Americans that we can bring back our work ethic. Amen? If not, we'll bring Pablo right over. We'll bring Petros right over from Greece. Amen? And I'll be the first American. I'll be the first American to say, hey, we can't blame them. It's our fault. Because I have been in too many poor neighborhoods. I don't care white, black, pink, or purple the culture is. I've been in too many poor neighborhoods where they don't want to do the work that people have to do to get up in this world. And that's what it takes. And so I don't care where you're starting at on your journey today. Many of us are educated here. Don't get me wrong. But I don't care where you start off in your journey. You work hard and you prosper. Amen. How many want to learn how to do that? Come on. Somebody say, give me the message. All right, here it is. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Thank you for your patience in the introduction. Let's talk about Christian service today, working unto the Lord. Here is the command in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul is speaking. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Skip down to verse 23. Whatever you do, how many things? Whatever you do, work at it with how much of your heart? All of your heart. Thank you, saints, as working for who? The Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you have received an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. That is our motivation. Amen? Do you see an excuse for laziness here? Do you see an excuse to complain here? Let me just tell you something. If you're complaining on your job, you are not representing Christ. Even if your job is wrong in what they do, you are there to help them to make it better or to do your gift, your best and give them a gift of goodbye. But your complaining will never change anything. And Ishmael, I talked about you in the first service. Can I talk about you in the second service? I might as well ask for permission at some point. It's only good, I can promise. The other side I'll say privately. No, I'm kidding. He's an awesome man, and I want to bring it up in just a second. But here's the definition. Christian service, think of it like this. Christian is Christ-like, and service is work, like serving people, right? And all work is a sense of service. That's what God said. We take care of the land. We serve the land. So it doesn't matter what you're doing as an occupation today. It's somehow considered service. So Christ-like service is defined as this. Doing all things is unto the Lord. That's obvious. Especially in your occupation. That's not so obvious for some people. Literally, I will see young people get saved. They'll come to church. They'll clean the church. They'll help out in the church. And then their mom tells me, they don't clean their room. Hello. If you clean the church, clean your room. Amen. Hello. What you do here, do over there. If you're an usher and you help people here, be nice on your job. Christians should be the best at whatever they do. And as Christians, we serve and worship God in all that we do. So when I serve God on my job, I'm worshiping the Lord. Now let me share this with you. I want to share just a couple more personal things, and then I'll give some application with Brother Isher and some of the other uh, brothers and sisters. You see, I understand that in this congregation, I have a unique privilege, and that is I get to be paid to do what I do. Metro Praise International is only 11 years old, and there's only really two full-time paid workers. That is my wife and I. We've begun to help out and give stipends to the other pastors. Uh, three of them have our vehicles. A few of them we pay for their cell phone bills, and we're starting to add those small but, uh, you know, appreciated benefits. I wish we could do so much more. 
when you give more, we'll give more to them, okay? Amen. And pastors ain't taking it all. None left over for you guys. Sorry, I'll just take care of your cell phone bill. No, we're really trying to balance this out so we need more to give more. Amen? Sometimes I have people come around, they go, you know, you, you pastors make too much money. And I'm like, okay, what should we make? And then, you know, they don't have a number of what pastors should make. But then those are the same ones who say, you know what, you guys make too much money, but then you ask everybody to do everything for free. And I'm like, which one do you want, bud? If I ask my pastors to work for free, then you get mad because they're working for free. But then when we start paying them, you say they make too much money. So which one is it? See, it's really foolishness, isn't it? We have to give money to the church so that other people can make money. And don't get me started on what baseball players make right now, right? Hello. So those who want to complain about what pastors make, baseball players do nothing for you, and yet you keep paying them and paying them and paying them. I let you come here for free, and I preach to your soul. Amen? So until you start paying us the way you pay the Cubs, stop complaining. Amen? Once you start paying us the way you pay the Cubs, then I might want to hear something from you. Can I hear an amen for that? Now let's just keep moving right along. <laughs> Little fast came out right there. But now let me say this. There is not a day that goes by that my wife do not thank the Lord for your gift to our life. And there is not a day that goes by, literally a 24-hour day does not go by without me walking in the fear of the Lord of that. So that at any point in your life, if you would ask me, Joe, what are you doing for this church? Joe, what are you doing for our spiritual benefit? What are you doing for those that labor among you? I would be able to look at you right in the eyes, no hesitation, and say, I am working for you with all my heart. With all my heart, with all my effort, I am giving you my all. And so that means you would not be ashamed of me. You would not be ashamed. You would not be ashamed to say, yes, part of our tithes and offering goes to our pastor. Other part to the, you know, to the building, to the electricity, to our events, you know. But I am not ashamed. You would be able to hold your head high and say, I am not ashamed of my pastors and what they do for this community. Now, having said that, I want to ask you a question. Would I be ashamed of you on your job as your pastor? Or would I show up to your job and I would say as a pastor, yep, she's given it everything she's got. They make the church proud. They look good on this job. They lift high the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is honored in their life. And that's why I want to tell a story about Ishmael, who has a unique gifting of working in uh, hazardous materials with construction companies, doing safety inspections, correct? And uh, he's gone from different company to different company. But there was a time where he thought that the grass was a little bit greener than where he was at, and he made a move. And they gave him some more shekels. But over time, he began to notice that the commute was much longer than his commute before, roughly about an hour and a half, right? And then it required him to take trips to Kentucky to be gone for, what, three or four days, two days, how many days at a time? Two or three days at a time, and it began to wear on him. And so we prayed over a barbecue grill. I mean, we were just grilling out. He was sharing his heart with me, and we just said, well, we're going to commit this to prayer because in his heart he knew that there had to be something better for his family. He was guided by the Lord and by his integrity that he wouldn't do wrong by this job. He wouldn't complain. He wouldn't show up every day saying, I hate this commute. I hate going to Kentucky. He determined in his heart that the Lord directs his path. And so during this time, he'll be thankful and keep working unto the Lord. And his wife brought up to him the company that he had left. 
She said, maybe go back over there and they will take care of you better and give you more opportunities. To say it maybe in a polite way you didn't believe her at first, a little sassy with mama. Because he's thinking, man, I already left that company. That might be embarrassing. That might make me look bad. I'm a man. I left. These boots were made for walking. That's just what they'll do. Goodbye, y'all. You know, and his wife kept saying, no, but I think there's something there. Go back to the company you left. And so he goes back to that company. There's a job opening in a different department. More pay, higher raise. God is going to bless him financially. But it's all dependent upon one thing now. Was his reputation here good? Was his reputation here good? And the man comes in, in my words, trying to preach it a little bit here. He basically says, your reputation was outstanding-ish. You're hired. Is that kind of how it went? (laughs) And now today he is doing what he loves to do, closer to home, no trips to Kentucky, and making more shackles. Does it always work out that way? Does every pastor who starts a church find themselves eight years later successful? No, most churches close. Does every man that starts off on his journey of career, does he always go up, up, up and away, or the woman up, up, up and away? No, there may be some detours, there may be some downs, there may be some valleys, but here is the idea that Paul is teaching us. Will you do it unto the Lord? Wherever you find yourself, will you do it for Jesus? And will you be thankful for what you have? Because before God blesses you with something you don't have, he wants to see you're thankful for what you already have. And that's why I give parents here permission every Christmas to write one note to your children, put it under the Christmas tree, and say, this is all of my gifts to you. I give you permission to do it, parents. And in that letter, they open it up, bright, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Christmas morning. They open it up, and they read it and tell them to read it out loud. Mom and Dad want to give you this gift for Christmas, a house, running water, food, Clothes, all paid for the next year. Merry Christmas, son. Merry Christmas, daughter. I give you permission. Because until they understand the value of the house, until they understand the value of the hot water running through that shower, the shoes on their feet, there's no reason to give them that Xbox. No reason to give them those new fancy clothes because they haven't understood the value of what they already have. Let's teach our children value. Let's teach them respect and honor. And let us remind ourselves of what value is in our lives. I think education is valuable. And I love um, the standard educational model in a lot of ways. You know, you, you pay, you go to school, go to college, you get a service. I understand that. But we also need to teach our children there's other ways to learn as well. In our first service, we had a plumber. And he went and got the trade of being a plumber. And he worked and did well. And now today he makes more than a lot of people who went to college. And if you don't believe me, just call up a plumber and ask them their hourly rates. And we need to bring back the love of learning in all ways. We need people that want to serve and work hard and get dirty. And we need those that are comfortable behind a desk. We need those that are going to work in the consumer, customer, uh, service area. How many know Comcast needs to hire more Christians? Can I hear an amen? How many know AT&T and Verizon needs to hire more Christians? Because whenever I call up about my bill, they get angry with me real quick. And I end up getting mad, and I just wish they would pray with me, I guess. I don't know, but I need, more, I need them to have more patience with me. Because how in the world did it get this expensive? 
Every time you tell me there's a new promotion, it gets more expensive two months later. I don't understand. Can I just have the first deal again? And so we need people in all of these areas, don't we? We, we need those who find their joy in that. I remember one time shopping at Home Depot, and they didn't have what I need. And then the young man began to tell me about how much he didn't like Home Depot, and I'd be better going to Menards and all of these things. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, if I was this young man's manager and I heard him talk like that, he would be fired before he could even say his own name. My friends, we're here to make a difference in this world, and it doesn't always come easy. I understand that, but we're to be different and do things unto the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Here's five ways to do it as Rachel comes to the keys. Rachel is an awesome nurse. Is it always easy being a nurse? But it is fun. You make it fun, though, don't you? Because I've met some nurses in our four times bringing four children that didn't really have a lot of fun. I met one nurse that kept telling me to be quiet, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm happy. You keep telling me to be quiet like I'm asking too many questions. Come on now. I think you would be a fun nurse to have. Think about these things. It's in the passage we just read. How to do your work unto Jesus. Well, number one, see Jesus as your master. There's a story in the Bible about Joseph going from a pit to Potiphar as a slave, then into prison, and then before the Pharaoh. And he served God in all that he did. Also, the Israelites were actually even taken as slaves. And they still worked as unto the Lord. Do you know that even in the time of slavery here in the South, as despicable as it was, you want to know one of the good things that came from the evil of man? Is that the African-American community called upon God and became the strongest community of that time. And the songs that they would sing in those hot cotton fields became a motivation not only for their freedom from slavery, but if you know anything about our Pentecostal history, this would be good for some of you to know. William J. Seymour was the black man who founded the modern-day Pentecostal movement because he grew up under the reign of slavery and segregation, but he knew a God that was bigger than that. And it not only transformed his thinking, it transformed the world. Now today there are 500 million Christians around the world believing how he believed and taught, but he was told to sit outside the schoolroom in the church because it was segregated. And one of the criticisms they made against William J. Seymour was that he allowed everybody in, black, white, pink, or purple. White people didn't like it and black people didn't like it. But that man became the founder of modern-day Pentecostalism. You see, there's so much that comes out of the evil of this world. It only comes, though, when we see Jesus as our master. If all we look at is the boss that doesn't like us, the employee that doesn't like us, if all we do is see the situation, we will miss the work of the master. That doesn't mean that there's not times to quit your job or move on, but you do it as unto the Lord. That doesn't mean there aren't inventive ideas inside of you that many of you got to start your own companies to get out because no one else will understand. Entrepreneurship is amazing, and it's all throughout the Bible. But the idea is we do it as unto the Lord. And so I want to see Jesus first as my master because, can I make it personal again? Because when Jesus is my master, preaching to 200 like I did today, 100 in the, some in the first, 130 in the first, and maybe about 80 here in the second. When I preach to 200, it satisfies my soul more than preaching to 1,000. Nothing wrong with preaching to a 1,000. It's just not my turn yet. Are you listening? And so I got to find satisfaction in what the master said to do now. And jealousy is the root of dissatisfaction. 
when you look at what others have and you think you should have it and it happens to pastors just as much as it happens to you for salesmen or whatever you're doing on your job, the moment we turn away from our race, we look at the other runners, we won't finish ours. Let's keep our eyes focused on our race. This is where God called me to be today. Amen? And if you don't like your job, go find another one that you do like because no one's forcing you to be there. But when you show up at that job, make a difference. Amen? Do it as unto the Lord. Let them say, hey, call up Jerry. She'll do it. She'll help you out. Why? Because she works here for her God and she works good. Sometimes you guys complain to me, and I know you don't mean to, but you say, Pastor, I do my job so good. They have me doing the job of two or three people. Bravo. That's the story of the Bible. Well, what if they take advantage of me? They will take advantage of you. And so you weigh that out between your heart and God. The Lord will tell you how much you can take. But there are some of you that are running from your blessings, not understanding that that's a part of God's plan for your life. Let me give you another one. I don't hardly talk about myself in preaching, but I will a little bit more today just to encourage some of you. So I was doing all that I was doing for the school, then I stepped down from being a professor and just became a pastor because I didn't need to work, and Nancy didn't need to work. Church paid the bills. Amen. And I think the first year the church paid all the bills was maybe around 30000 And we've made it up to about 60000 God's been good to us. But here's the deal. Right about in the middle of that, my Bible college president called me, and this is what he said. He said, Joe, we're starting a new program that they can take the classes from our school all over the country. All we need is churches to open up cohorts and be extension sites. And I said, that sounds great, Brother George. What's the problem? He said, well, we ain't got nobody signing up for it. And I said, well, who's helping you? He said, well, I'm paying four guys, four guys to travel around the country and meet with churches to get these cohorts established. And I think between the both, all four of them, they only got about two. He said, Joe, will you help me out? I don't have any money in the budget, but I need you to get the word out there. I did it for free. Within a few weeks, we had about six signed up. Come on, somebody. Prosperity, working for the Lord. And then you know what he said? You know what he said? And he said, I'm going to hire you. I'll put you in charge of it. And then the Lord told me that wasn't for me. So I worked for free. Come on, somebody. It may feel like you give an extra hour sometimes, but the Lord's watching you. See, that's a part of my integrity. Now, I couldn't keep working like that for free. I mean, there's, there's a balance to this, but you'll know the difference. Number two, be thankful for all that you have. Giving thanks to the Father. I think every day we should start our day with just giving thanks. Lord, I thank you that I have a brain today that's working. I thank you for the air that's in my lungs. I thank you for the car, the bus, the transportation. I thank you for a country that's free today. I thank you for the word of God I can listen to on my headphones. And we begin to thank God. One day I was watching the show The Apprentice and, and Penn and Teller, those two music, uh, magicians, the, Penn is the big guy. He was on there and they were winning and they give their money to the charities and Penn's money would go to help uh, disabled people get the skills that they could bag groceries in grocery stores. Literally, they would take them from start to finish, how to use the bathroom on their own, how to be presentable, how to show up, how to put the groceries in. They would do that just for the purpose of letting them go out and do a, a job. Have you ever seen them at Jewel? Have you ever seen the kind of people I'm talking about? They're so precious, aren't they? And tears started coming down my eyes. And I said, God, I'm not thankful enough. They're just... They're just begging to go back some groceries because they want to they do what you called them to do. They're the image of God. They bear your image. And even though things don't work right, they, they want to participate in caring for the earth you gave us. 
And I think about all of us with all these talents and abilities and how much we can play. God help us. Amen. God help us. Look at the story of Joseph to get rid of your complaint. No matter where he was. Of course he wasn't happy being a slave. He wasn't happy being put in prison. But no matter where he was, he was blessed. He was even the best person in jail. They put him in charge of the rest of them. God will bless us. The Bible, the story of Daniel. He was a governor in Babylon. They threw him in a lion's den because he still worshipped God, right? But he was great at what he did. Work at it with all your heart. Here's where we talk about prosperity. You don't settle for anything less than God's best in your success. Everybody say, I won't settle for anything less than God's best in my success. Come on, you want to be a janitor, be the best janitor. Get in charge of all the rest of the janitors. You stay there long enough and then teach them how to be the best janitors. You want to be a part of a company that's starting off, take some sacrifices, you know, be a part of an upstart. Make those changes. Do what it takes. You're part of a great big company. Get noticed by coming on time and staying late and being there when your boss needs you. Everybody needs somebody to help them. You be that person on your job. You'll become indispensable. They'll say, fire this guy who makes all this money with all these degrees and promote this guy right here because he's working and getting the skill done, getting the job done. And I think that's kind of Daryl's story, isn't it? You work in a company or in a, a, a manufacturing industry where everybody around you has degrees, right? And you sit there without a degree, but you've got the favor of the Lord. Amen. Let's give it up for that, brother, working hard for Jesus. Number four, have God's thoughts. Think about it like this. The Bible says you got to do all these things. Work unto the Lord. Be thankful. Work at it with all your heart. Because you know, you know. Everybody say, I know. Thank you, because you know you will receive an inheritance. So it matters what you know. Do you know that what you're doing is for the Lord? Do you guard your thoughts from complaining and being bitter, right? Do, do you know, young people, that when you get good grades in school, it matters to get into college? And do you know that doing well in college matters when you look for a job? And some guys have to start off in even occupations they didn't even go to college for because they got to get a foot in the industry somehow. They went to be an architect, but all the architecture firm has open as a janitor, so they'll start there. I mean, are you willing to say, I can do all this because I know who I am? you got to know who you are. If you let your circumstances dictate your identity, you'll be whatever you are in that certain circumstance. Because I don't have no money, I'm broke. Because I don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, I'm lonely. Because I don't have a big church or a lot of money in the bank account, I'm unsuccessful. You'll stay that way with that mindset. But if you start to believe, I'm satisfied, God has made me single-minded, then you'll be a great candidate for a boyfriend or girlfriend. If you can say, I got knowledge and prosperity and blessing, you'll be a great candidate to get hired and start saving up money. You've got to think first as you want to be. The thoughts is what dictates your behavior and emotion. Amen. How many believe that? Can I give you an easy way to make that applicable? How many thought about having babies before they actually started making babies? Amen. <laughs> think about it. You had to think about what you wanted to do first, didn't you? Then you had to put the body into motion, didn't you? Then what came out nine months later? Come on, stand up, Nancy. These two ladies are about ready to burst. Give the hand clap for these two pregnant ladies here. We are making the church bigger one person at a time. <laughs> yes. Is it okay to think about sex? Yes, it is if you want to have babies. If you don't want to have babies, don't have sex. And the Bible says that you can't do that unless you're married. So married people, you got to be ready to have babies. Amen? Because even birth control and stuff doesn't work. Come ready to have a family. It gets quiet when I preach like that, but isn't sex okay? 
It's godly when you do it right. Let's keep moving, though. Look to the reward. What is my reward in this? Is it just cha-ching? No. It's the kingdom of God. That's where that satisfaction comes in. And a lot of what we do may not get rewarded here on earth. Let's just be honest. Not everybody's going to come after Daryl did a great day on his job with machines and producing tools and all of this and give him a hand clap like they did a dude who hit a ball with a wooden bat over a fence, right? They're not going to do that for us every day. The bus driver who picks people up and takes them back and forth probably is not going to be told thank you very much. You know, you doing the uh, chemical inspections, I'm sure, at different times when you had to tell a place, you've got about a million dollars worth of chemical removal here you got to do. I don't know at that first if they were always saying thank you is for coming and telling us that. But aren't you glad that somebody went and told that building they had the chemicals there so you didn't go there with the chemicals, amen? But I'm going to tell you who does know what you do, who is watching you every day, who sees the attitude and the things that you bring to that job. It's God. And there's a reward that lasts longer than money because money is only temporary, but the kingdom of God is eternal. And I'm just reminded of a story of my friend Wayne, traveling evangelist, traveling speaker around the world and country. He was uh, always just convicted in his heart because he came from really nothing. He was always convicted in his heart to tell everybody he saw doing something of manual labor or of help around a building or a company to tell them thank you. That was his heart to let people know in the world he was in that he was appreciative. So if he was like, you know, walking up to a place and a guy was cutting grass, he'd be like, good job. You know, and he would mean it. He would not, he, it was a conviction of the Lord. He had to walk in this world as a Christian and let people know that they were appreciated. That's what he felt. And one day he said it caught him totally off guard. He was on his way catching a plane. He was late. He was with his friend Joey. I think you've heard a story about Wayne and Joey here before. But anyways, he sees a guy washing windows just there in the airport. They're running late. And, and Wayne's got to stop. And Joey tells the story really funny because Joey's the older guy. And Joey's like, come on, Wayne. We're going to miss our plane. You can tell him thank you later, you know. And Wayne's like, no, I got to tell him now. I got to tell him now, you know. And those of you have met Wayne. And he, and he stops and he literally tells the window washer, literally, spiritually, from his heart, meaning it, good job. Appreciate what you do here every day. And the guy turned around and said, no one's ever told me that before. And then Wayne told him, he said, I wanted to tell you that because I appreciate what you do. And he said the man started to have tears coming down his eyes. And I think about, like, my father-in-law as a janitor. And was he in elementary school? I don't know about you, but when I was in elementary school, I wasn't very nice to janitors. I just could imagine, like, one of our kids, if they went to his school saying, thank you, Mr. Matt Saris, for everything you do here. I appreciate you. And so as much as we know that that's what we wish others would do for us, why don't we go make it happen for others now? Why don't we start that trend? Why don't you go to work tomorrow and go do that for somebody else? Why don't you stop at the person who's running a little late, getting you their assignment so you can finish your assignment? Just say, hey, man, I appreciate what you did. I know you had to come in over the weekend. Just whenever you got it done, I'll appreciate it. But thank you. Why don't you, as you're coming into Pepper tomorrow, and if you see that guy just washing the windows, just go, hey, man, I appreciate what you do here. You make the company look nice. We get more business that way. Or maybe you walk by the person today that you go into the restaurant, you see them serving you or cooking for you, and you say to your waiter, thank you, thank you. And we begin to pass around this spirit of gratitude. And then just maybe, not that we're doing it to get it to come back to us, but then just maybe somebody comes on your day when you need it and says, 
Hey, Ish, I know it's not easy telling companies they got a million-dollar bill here, but thank you because you're making it a better company. You're making better buildings. That's our reward whether we get it here on this earth or not because God keeps track of those things. Here it is in closing. I'll summarize. Thank you for your patience today. What should we do? We should prayerfully discover our God-given purpose and pursue it with all of our passion and the power of the Holy Spirit to prosper in all that we do. If you believe that, can you stand up with me? Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Come on, we're doing it for you, Jesus. We're doing it for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? As they're coming, would you just raise up your hands in a sign of worship also to stretch out? I know we need to stretch a little bit. And would you sing this with us before we dismiss today? May it always be about you, Jesus. Come on, one more time. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center of it all. Let's tell him today he's the center of our lives. to me. Three kinds of people in their in their heart today. Number one, you just hate your job. You, you don't like it. You wish you just could find another job. And it is so hard for you to hear doing something for the Lord today there because you just want to leave. Would you pray today and ask the Lord to give you the right way and timing on how to leave or to change the actual thing you do. Maybe there's a different position you can have. But no matter what, if you're going to leave or you're going to stay, would you ask the Lord just to give you a thankful heart? Just a thankful heart. Number two, maybe you're here today and you say, man, I kind of like my job and I kind of don't. There's things that I just don't like about it. I'm trying to bring change, but I don't see them listening to me. Would you ask now the Lord in prayer that they will see a difference in you because of how hard you work? Maybe there's a suggestion that you can make to them, and, and there's maybe discussions you have. But let's say you've tried all of that. Would you just say now, Lord, would you transform where I'm working by my behavior? Let them see it in me. And then lastly, let's say you're working here, and you're like, man, I love my job. Things are going great. 
would you just simply pray that you can be that positive influence to others, that one that's thankful, the one that compliments, the one that really makes that company awesome for others because there may be people in your company, on your job, that don't feel the same way. So you're going to help make their job easier. All of these things can be summed up in what Jesus said. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but came to serve. Christian service is doing all things unto Jesus and as Jesus. We're going to sing this again. If you're sensing any of those words or anything I might have missed, would you pray and raise your hands and just begin to lift up that need to the Lord, the job to the Lord, your situation. We'll sing this out a few more times, but before you sing, would you pray as the band is singing because I want to make sure you've made time to apply it. Come on. of his people. He is kind and compassionate. And so don't think that God doesn't understand your frustration. He does. But God's got a better way. And I believe we're going to make a cultural change in this world, one job at a time. Hobby Lobby started off just as a craft store. Now it's a multi-billion dollar organization that has one of the highest average pay the government didn't have to intervene on their own. I believe they started paying on average starting at 12 an hour with benefits. You know, so much more different than what you would see at other big box places. Chick-fil-A wanted to reinvent the fast food industry. And there's just so many other companies like that. And like I said, maybe yours isn't there today. But if you're going to be there for 40 hours, let's be an agent of change. Let's be a part of the solution. Just a few more moments. God, use us on our jobs. Use us where we're at. Give us the heart of thankfulness. Help us to see everything we do for you. Be the center of what we do, no matter what it is. And God, we look forward. We look forward to being used there for your glory. Amen. I want to ask that one of our hard-working women would come forward. I know I mentioned some examples about the men. But I would ask that uh, Maria would come. We get up for Maria. Come on up here. Maria, come on. Maria has just an amazing, amazing testimony. Some of you do not know her. You should get to know her. She didn't know I was going to call her up here. She is from Nicaragua, not Honduras. That's an inside joke, by the way. Not Honduras, but Nicaragua. Was your family from there, or were you actually born there? And then you grew up in California, and that's where you got into some trouble, right? But then you moved to Miami, 
Miami, Maine. Can I hear you say Miami? Miami. <laughs> okay. Maybe not as much as I thought, but like that, you know, the Cubans, I guess, say Miami, right? That's another story. I'll keep going. <laughs> then you got into trouble at, in Miami, and you end up getting arrested, right? You're not ashamed to tell people because it's part of your testimony. But then something happened. Would you take us from there? What happened when you were in jail? What changed your life when you got out? And what's been going on ever since then? And maybe explain how you guys met. Tell us your whole life story from jail onward. And how you work downtown. All of these awesome things because you're such a testimony. Thank you. <laughs> well, like.